We're in Genesis, right? Make your way over to Genesis chapter 1. We'll finish up chapter 1 today. Um, if you remember last week, it's, it's a big passage, kind of broken into two. So uh, last week we were looking at, we're looking at it two from a different angle this week, but last week we learned about the Imago Dei, right? That's that Latin phrase that is generally used as a theological term describing that you and I, we are made in the image of God. Uh, we contended, considered the Imago Dei in these two different senses, right? First, the structural sense. Uh, that is, right, we have a soul and we're intelligent and rational and, and we appreciate art and music and beauty. And, and you and I, unlike, uh, in a way, completely distinct from animals, right, we can worship God that you're never going to see a guinea pig or a cat or a monkey do. Uh, and, and so we considered also, right, how sin has affected the image of God in all people, we considered how both uh, men and women are equally made in the image of God. We considered how Jesus is the perfect image of the Father. Uh, and we considered how the cross, the, the resurrection, and the work of the Holy Spirit is, is restoring that distorted, right? That fractured image of God in, in, in each one of us as, as God works in our life. Now, the second sense of the Imago Dei that we touched on is, is what's called functional, uh, what are the responsibilities, right? If, if this is true of you, if you're made in the image of God, what, what does that mean? What are the responsibilities that come with that? What blessings are there with being made in the image of God? Now, we're going to unpack that in a little more detail today uh, as, as we hone in mostly on the second half of the passage that we went over the first half of last week. And let's, let's just get to it. We're going to read the entire passage again, keep it all in context here, which means we'll start back at uh, Genesis 1:26. And I got these glasses, right? Because I'm getting old. I break them out from time to time. I don't know why. Some days my eyes work better than others. Today's others, I guess. Verse 26. And then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. A male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we return to this passage again today, we ask that you would enlighten our minds to understand this. We ask that you'd soften our hearts to, to learn from your word and to be shaped from your word and by your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So immediately after the creation of man and woman, we're told that God does something. You see it there in verse 28. Have a look at it, right? God blessed them. This is actually the second time that we've seen God use this phrase, that, that God blessed them. The previous one, you got your Bible open, you look back to verse 22. It, it's here that after God has created all the animals, uh, that, that God says it, right? That he has blessed them. And in both instances, that with the animals in here, uh, it is followed by this imperative, this command to be fruitful and multiply. 
The idea here uh, in both instances is, is quite simple, right? It's that God has bestowed the ability to reproduce through sexual union. And you know, keep in mind two things here. First, the, this blessing is given to the human race collectively, not, not just Adam and Eve, right? And in fact, immediately after God blessed them, Eve isn't pregnant uh, you know, right away. It takes some time. In fact, it's, it's after the fall and, and all that. It's not until chapter 4 that she, she becomes pregnant with her first child, which you know, which is after they've been banished from the garden. Uh, the blessing uh, of God here is the, <clears throat> is the ability of man and woman to reproduce, right? Tied into that is this command to actually do that. Uh, so then let's, let's consider the first string of comments here, or commands here in verse 28. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. On, on the surface, it's all very simple, right? Get together, start reproducing so that the earth is filled with lots of people and there's people everywhere. Now, you and I, we live in a very independent age uh, where there is a great hesitancy to encourage things such as marriage or child uh, having children even, right? Because some don't want to marry at all and then because some just haven't found a, spice to, or a spouse that they desire to marry to begin with. Now, now, listen, there are good reasons why some will choose not to marry uh, and this singleness does not prevent anyone from having a meaningful and God-honoring life. Uh, the Lord Jesus is an example of that. Most believe the Apostle Paul is an example of that. Now, yet even a, a cursory reading of Scripture teaches us that that ought to really be the exception, not the rule, right? Uh, Hebrews 13.4 is forming our view on marriage when it says this, Let marriage be held in honor among all. It is something to be desired, to be sought after, not necessary, but to be desired and sought after. So I encourage you to, to seek marriage, even in this era when a lot of people don't, right? To, to wisely and with good patience to pursue a spouse, to, to plan and hope to have children, to take on the responsibilities that come with, with being a husband, with comes with being a mother, a father, a wife, right? To, to take those on. Now, at, at, at this point in history, when you and I live, or when, when Adam and Eve live, rather, when, when God commands them to, to multiply, it was something that was absolutely necessary, right? Because because the world's population at that time, you, you ever done the math on this? Two. That's what the population was. Two people at this time. And do you know what the world population is today? No one really knows. But it's somewhere over 8 billion people that are currently walking around on this big blue planet. You, you kind of, at this point, right, you look at what the command is, and you look at what we've accomplished here, and you just want to be like, well done. At no point are we stopping like, well done, you have, you know, you have just gone from two to eight billion people. You have multiplied so well, good for you. You've done incredible, right? And, and you know, collectively, this has got to be one of the most obeyed commandments in all of Scripture. Eight billion people. We have been fruitful and filled the earth. So much so that most of us actually fear overpopulation. We, we hear fears of that. There's always scary movies made about, oh, there's too many people. We need to do something, right? When, whenever I'm, I'm back in Houston and I'm stuck in traffic on a 14-lane highway, I think there are too many people on this planet. They need to go somewhere. It's never me that needs to go. They need to go, right? However, uh, according to people who actually study this sort of thing, uh, the concern now is actually that the population of the planet is, is going to shrink, that we're about to hit kind of the peak and go down. And, uh, you know, uh, now, now listen, it does, it's high. It seems to go higher. And a lot of it has to do with people living longer because of medical advancements and, and such, which, which makes right, the total population higher. But, but attitudes towards having children are shifting in the opposite direction. Uh, so are birth or fertility rates. Now, 
uh, a fertility rate is, is this. It tells us on average how many children e each woman in a specific population is, is going to have based on the rate they are actually having children. So a uh, fertility rate of 2.0 is what they consider the break-even mark, okay? Uh, you've, you've replaced exactly what has come before you, right? If a woman has two children, uh, she replaces, just for the sake of simplicity, uh, herself and her husband, right? So while in seminary, I, I worked for a pastor who, who often said emphatically, unless you have three kids, you have not faithfully obeyed God's commandment to be faithful, fruitful. Uh, you can imagine that didn't go over well with everyone. Uh, he had four children. It went over well with him. Uh, you know, the people in the congregation that were like eight plus were feeling really good about themselves. Um, and, and I asked him about that once. Like, I mean, do you really mean that to the degree you're saying that? And he said, it's just, it's just simple math, right? And I get that. I, if you want to bring it down to simple math, it certainly is, right? It, it didn't occur to me at the time, though, to even think about this. I, I wish I'd asked. So, so, so are you comfortable saying that Abraham's wife, Sarah, was, was unfaithful to the command to be fruitful? She only had one child, right? But, but, but like I said before him, you know, this, this command is, is given to mankind collectively. And so fertility rate gives us a, a good sense of how we are collectively going. Now, just based on some of what I said earlier, now remember this, right? A 1.9 or below fertility rate means your population is, is shrinking, going down. Uh, anything 2.1 or above, is it's going up. So currently, the, the highest fertility rate in the world is, is the nation of Niger uh, at 6.3 children per, per, per woman, which is pretty phenomenal if you think about it. Um, it's also a predominantly Muslim nation. Uh, the lowest fertility rate in the world right now is, is South Korea at 0.9, which is predominantly a Christian nation. Now, now China is at, at 1.7, so shrinking, uh, with a big group, right? Uh, collectively, Europe is at 1.4. That's everyone in Europe combined. That's, that's shrinking significantly. I know all you really care about is the United States. How are we doing? We are at 1.7, so we are shrinking a little bit, uh, and it seems to be going more and more in that direction. In fact, uh, the overall world population of, of uh, fertility rate is, is about half of what it was in 1950, and it's gone down every single year, almost every year. It's going down. Um, so the lower birth rates are a result of people choosing not to have children, either by some form of birth control or abortion. Now, uh, we won't get into it all here today, but preventing a pregnancy from occurring is, ethnically speaking, very different from intentionally ending a pregnancy. And yet, like every sin we might commit, there is forgiveness in Christ for that too. Now, as far as, as birth uh, control is, is concerned, right? Oh, are we going to open this bag, right? No, we're not. Uh, there are various methods and reasons that, that Christians may wish to prevent or postpone having a child for a, a, a period of time. Uh, it might be financial. It, it might be so that you can serve the Lord in other ways. It, it might be that you want to have this time of bonding with your, 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 your spouse as a couple first for a while. It, it, it might be that you've reached the point right now where you don't believe you can properly care for and disciple any more children than the Lord's already blessed you with. We, we all have uh, different financial means, different emotional capacities, life capacities, that sort of thing. And, and while our, our passage here focuses on just the birthing of children, the, the rest of, of the Word of God is very clear that to the best of our ability, we are called to actually disciple these children, not just have them and throw them out into the world in that way, right? We are to raise our children to know the Lord and to love the Lord, and, and that means discipling them well, and that means time, um, I, I knew a man who was late, later in life who was the youngest of 12 children, and uh, I remember sitting with him once and him telling me that he had never had one-on-one -on -one time with his father. 
ever. Uh, his life was not discipled well there later in life. He was really getting discipled well, but as a child, it, it wasn't. And, and I've always think of that, right? That there is wisdom that we think through. We pray and we discern what, what, what is wise. Now, that's not to say that 12 children is too many. You should never have that. Don't, don't hear that, right? Uh, most of us probably aren't going to handle that real well uh, in, in the way the world works today. But, but I'm not saying that. It's, a, it's one of those discerned things where it takes wisdom and, and prayer to figure out. Now, now, the other part of this is I, I know some of you... Some of you long to have children, and for whatever reason, the Lord has not fulfilled that desire. E- even reproduction has suffered the effects of the fall. You know, if, if, if that's you, I'm, I'm really, I'm genuinely sorry that that has been your experience. I, I know it is hard, and I, I want you to know that I pray for you often. And listen, I, I've known people who either chose not to have children or were unable to, to not have children of their own. Um, and, and I've seen them adopt children who were desperately in need to be loved and cared and disciples. I, I've seen them serve not just children even, but others of all ages in their neighborhood and their churches in, in ways that honestly those that are, are raising a whole bunch of children or just a few children, right, are, are usually not able to do, right? To, to serve the Lord in, in ways that simply wouldn't have been capable. And I, I want you to know that is good, that is valuable, truly. It's not second-rate valuable, right? It's truly valuable. Now, if, if you long to, to give birth, to have a child, I encourage you this way. Don't, don't give up hope of that. But also look, look around you and see where the Lord might use you right now in this stage of life you are in. Now, now there is a whole lot of more that can be said here, right? If you have questions about any of this, right? If you want to get into birth control, all the, I mean, all this kind of stuff, I'm, I'm up for it, right? It's not going to do it right now. So if you have questions, you want to talk further, we'll, we'll go grab some coffee uh, or whatever it is you need to be drinking while having that conversation, uh, right? And we'll have it. So, uh, so then, right, continuing in verse 8, we're going to move on to this next section. We, we see two commands here uh, that are related, but they're not, not the exact same command. We are instructed, one, right, to subdue the earth, and two, to have dominion over all creatures, both of these involve work, which, which we'll talk about in great deal more detail in chapter 2. But for now, I, just, I want you to notice at this point, right, that work is given not after the fall as a consequence of the fall, but before the fall. Work is good, right? It's a good gift of God for us. Um, so, so what we learn here in Genesis 1, though, is, is that, that only God, our creator, is the true sovereign king of all of creation. Okay? What that means is this is not your earth. Okay? It is not your planet. It is not your universe. It's, it's not yours. It, it belongs to God. And, and yet, he, here in verse 28, God does something that is bewildering, right? In a good way. God, God gives authority over the earth into the hands of man and woman who are made in his image. That's a big deal. Now, again, there, there are two aspects of this. Let, let's consider each one as we see him here in this section of our passage. And we're going to start actually with the command to have dominion over the creatures. I know it's second in this part of it, but way back in verse 26, it was actually mentioned first. So that's where we're starting there. So simply put, dominion is, is to rule. It is to actually exercise authority that has been given, right? And in Psalm 8, 6, the psalmist speaking to God about mankind, he says, uh, you know, talking about God, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. God has entrusted the, the rule, right, of, of all of his creatures to, 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 to image bearers. 
to men and, and women and children. And, and most of you, most of you know, we, we, we at our house, we have the seven-pound chihuahua. I don't even know if it qualifies as a dog. Uh, his name's Goonie. Uh, I often think of this Dominion thing because it's, it's one of the most uh, amazing things to see. Our, our daughter, Berkeley, oh, I jokingly say tortures him, right? She dresses him up in weird stuff. She takes him on these stroller rides where he has to sit there like a baby. She'll hold him like upside down in these weird ways and he just takes it, right? Now the Chihuahua takes it in a way that most animals probably won't. Um, <clears throat> but there's this Dominion thing that you begin to see. And in more productive ways, what, what we're talking about here though is, is, is the way we've seen uh, in the use of oxen and, and horses and, and elephants to put to use in, in work and, and, and doing things that we, we, we can't do. Um, in, in exercising dominion over them, right, we, we see that, but we also, we also must care for the animals. They're, they're not just things to be, you know, thrown to the ground or whatever it might look like, right? In fact, in the Old Testament laws, they include things for these animals. There's a kindness that's to be, they're to be treated with, a, a concern for these animals that, that is, is, you know, rest is actually instructed to us that you give these animals rest. Now, it's, it's worth noting here that uh, of all that we're given dominion over, mankind is, is not included in that. We are not given dominion over fellow man. Uh, Kevin DeYoung says it this way. He says, there is never an allowance that man might exercise dominion over another man. As you find so often in the history of the world, a military con uh, conquest and enslavement. No, that dominion was not given to man to rule in uh, tyrannical ways over fellow image bearers. So then, uh, along with dominion uh, over the creatures, we are called here in verse 28 to subdue the earth. Now this subdues from this Hebrew word kabas uh, that involves to use your strength, use your strength to bring something under control. In a sense, we are called to continue where God left off in, in the act of creation, you know, making the world. In other words, we are to use uh, all that God created, you know, ex nihilo, from nothing. We're to use the things he's created and, and to create more things, to form more things, right? We're to, we're to build boats. We're to farm fields. We're, we're to invent iPads, right? Construct cities and form societies and, and we're to harness electricity for, for wonderful purposes, whether, you know, from coal or, or windmills or whatever. And, and, and we see this subduing of, of the earth and even in our various vocations, right? Most of yours, you can look back and see it's some form of, of subduing. Now, and again, right? Work, work is good. Now, I, I want you to, to notice here that, that while early in creation, plants are given for uh, animals to eat. Have a look at how it's, it's worded here in verse 29 when, when he's giving them to man. He said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed. Yes, we eat seed, but that's not what this is about. God giving man seed uh, reveals to us that we are called to plant that seed. We're called to work the land. We are called to produce food from that. There, there's an immediate aspect of, of putting that to work, not just sitting back. We, we, we see this in Psalm 104, 14, which says of God, you, you caused the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth. Cultivating crops is a form of subduing the earth. Now, as a, a quick aside here, uh, you just got to notice it. Did, did you notice God, God gave only plants to mankind for food here? There were no steakhouses in Eden. I know that depresses some of you, right? Before the fall, uh, actually 100% of the world's population were vegetarians, both of them, right? However, right, if you're like, oh, right, is he going vegetarian argument here? 
No, right? It's not a solid argument. You see it here. It's very clear here, right? It's not an argument for vegetarianism, though, because, you know, after the fall, God says in Genesis 9-3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So go to your steakhouse. Enjoy your steak. Now, when, when Christ returns, right, this question, are we going to be eating cows or not based on what we're reading here? I don't know. You don't know either. We're going to wait. We'll find out. Um, so then, uh, these two commands, dominion over the creatures and subduing the earth, are, are together, together often called the creation mandate. It, it is this idea that it is a high calling to take the authority and the responsibility that, that God gives us and, and to live it out in a serious way, in a, in a real way, in a God-honoring way. And, and, and so let me give you just a few implications of this. And the first one I kind of touched on, but I'm going to touch on again because it's important. Uh, all of creation belong, belongs to God. <clears throat> Many of you probably know this quote, the famous one from Abraham Kuyper, right? Uh, there is not a square inch in the whole doma- domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. But far more significant than Abraham Kuyper is what we see in Scripture. Psalm 24.1 says, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, Right? Everything that's made and all the people, all the creatures that dwell there belong to the Lord. That's number one. So second, the the earth is given for us. It is given for us as a place for us to live. It is given for us that we might use it, put it to use, and and flourish as we live here. Now, there there are some today who, who... who actually view humanity as though we are some unfortunate infestation upon the planet just destroying it. Like, I don't know, a locust coming in and just destroying everything, right? That, that our existence just ruins this beautiful planet. And it's not hard to see why, why some people might hold that. We have been incredibly destructive. We have spilled millions of gallons of oil and, and, you know, into the seas. We've done strip mining. You can probably list off all kinds of things we've done, right? Even, even gr- growing up in Houston, right? Most of the mornings, if you decided to drive downtown, you'd, you'd see fog, and it's like, oh, there's beautiful fog here. It's not fog. It's smog. It's like exhaust and, and nasty stuff. It's gross, right? We, we have done things to de-beautify a beautiful world. But people who believe humans only destroy the planet cross over into this worship of creation as if that were the goal, was, was a pristine planet, right? There, there's a failure there to acknowledge that God has made this planet for our use, for our flourishing, right? We're, we're to use it in, in proper ways. Now, um, how we are to exercise dominion to subdue the earth, uh, how are we to do it in the way that God actually calls us to it? In, in simple terms, we, we should employ the resources of this planet in a way that is beneficial, not only for now, but not only for ourselves, but for the generations that are yet to come. Uh, Richard Mao, I think is how it's pronounced, right? Richard Mao said, right, the cultural mandate to have dominion over the earth is not a license to abuse the environment, but a call to exercise responsible stewardship and care for God's creation. There is a good and right way for us to exercise the stewardship the Lord's given us. Right? Stewardship because it doesn't belong to us, right? Meaning it's, again, right, not ultimately ours, it is, it is God's. Like our money, like our possession, like our very lives. They, they are not ultimately ours, they are gifts of God for us to steward in a way that honors him, that glorifies him. For instance, right, if, if you went on vacation and you asked someone, you know, come, come watch your house while you're gone. Can you just care for it while I'm gone, right? And, and, and you're saying they, they, they can, right? They, they, they live there. That's what they've been invited to do. They, 
you know, you, you've told them they can, you can eat whatever you find in the fridge and the cabinets, you know, it's all yours, enjoy it, you can enjoy swimming in the pool, and you can go ride the bicycles or whatever other toys you have, right, and, uh, right, I'm just asking, will you, will you bring in the mail, will you take out the trash, will you take care of this place, and, and you've just invited them to enjoy it while, while they're there. Now, they would be terrible stewards if instead of washing the dishes, they just smashed them on the floor when they're done, right? It's a lot easier, right? Or if they just killed your dog because it was barking too much. If they just tore the place apart because they thought, you know what, in two weeks, I'm not going to be here anywhere. What do I care what this house looks like? Let's just destroy it, uh, right? Can, can you imagine coming home to your house destroyed by people whom you gave authority to be good stewards in that house? Now listen, I, I'm not a big environmental person. If, if I'm honest, I, I come to this passage from less of an environmental view. Um, we recycle, but I'm not, I'm not even convinced it all goes to recycling. They might just dump it all in the same thing for all I know. I, I really like electric vehicles, but not for environmental reasons. I just think they're cool. Uh, but I'll tell you, like studying this, really getting into this, is, it has me more convinced that God and his word expects you and me to be good stewards of his earth. And I, I get it. it. It seems daunting sometimes because it seems like anything any one of us can do is not just a drop in the bucket. It's like a molecule in the drop in the bucket. It seems so little, right? But, but the Lord is, is pleased by our right attitudes, our, our Scripture-driven scripture aims, right? Even if they're not huge and significant in that way. And I, I know things like, like caring for the environment, they, they've become incredibly politically charged today, which is really sad, honestly, since, since subduing and, and dominion, good stewardship are, are commanded here by God. James Montgomery Boyce said, we, we should demonstrate a responsibility towards nature, meaning that we should not destroy it simply for the sake of destroying it, but rather we should seek to elevate it to its fullest potential. If you're going to take this passage serious, right, it, it doesn't mean You've got to adhere to whatever an environmental virtue signaling is trending at the moment. It doesn't mean you, you have to, you know, use the, those awful paper straws that they're handing out now and they just melt in your mouth, right? There, there was a time actually when Laura got reusable Ziploc bags and, and she's like, it's, it's good for the environment and cheaper. And I think that was probably the bigger motivation. And, and they're miserable. I would not encourage it, right? Just go with the Ziploc bags. Anyway, it, it, it doesn't matter if you have to, you know, you don't have to agree with the most radical of environmental issues, but it does mean that you need to care about how we are subduing the earth. How are we actually obeying the Lord when he gives this command here in Genesis? We, we, don't, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. You know, God hasn't told us that. But, but he has made us stewards over his planet in the meantime. And, and so do consider how we, how we can exercise good stewardship. For, for instance, right, I mean, catching fish in nets as a, a source of food, that's a great idea. You feed a lot of people with that, but, but there's a way to do it that's not going to just decimate the, the fish population. So they're going to be there. They won't be extinct, right? It's good and right to cut down trees and, and use them for paper and uh, make Bibles and bulletins and whatever else it might be, construction, but... But also, let's plant more trees. You know, that kind of thing. And, you know, using oil is fine, but are there better ways to provide or even conserve the energy that we need? Now, all those are fair questions. And, and a lot of this is, is global policy thing. And I think that's why we, we tend to disregard them on some level. As far as what you and I can do on a smaller level to, to be good stewards, not, not to make the biggest impact on the planet, right, but to be good stewards, to be that tiny drop in the bucket, that that's a conversation worth having and one that I hope will occur in the small groups today and, and Wednesday. Now, along with the call to have children, along with the call to exercise dominion over all creatures and the call to subdue the earth, 
um, is a similar mandate that is given to us as redeemed image bearers after the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. There is a spiritual dominion and subduing that we are, we are called to, to exercise, to partake in, right? We, we see it in the Great Commission, which is, is what we call that, that, that command that Jesus gives in Matthew 28, 19, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. See, when a farmer goes out and he, and he plants seed of, of corn, and he trusts that God is going to cause that that little kernel in the ground to actually grow and to become fruitful and to produce more corn, right? Likewise, you, you and I are called to, to plant the seed of the gospel, the, the seed of God's word in the hearts of men and women and children, and, 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 and we too must, must trust God to cause it to grow, cause it to, to grow up and be fruitful and to multiply. As Richard Phillips puts it, spreading the reign of Christ through the gospel is the priority of God's church. In fact, this was the motivation for, for why Martin Luther was fighting for, for schooling for, for all children, right? Not just because he thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if they could read the great works in history, right? It was because he wanted them to be able to read God's word themselves, right? And that's also why he translated the Bible into German, into the language that people spoke. That was part of this, this gospel dominion in, a, in a, a roundabout way. Now, spreading the reign of Christ is done more directly by actually with words, right, when, when you and I share the gospel with others, when we share that the forgiveness of sin is, is found in, in Christ alone. Now, now we see this occurring in Acts 12.24, which says the word of God increased and multiplied. It doesn't mean the words actually multiplied, like, oh, you figured out how to make this more wordy than it is, right? Uh, of course, the actual number of words didn't multiply. It means the impact of God's word. The, the effects of the gospel, his word in the hearts of people is multiplying and that they're coming to faith and they're growing in their faith. Okay, so as we work through this creation account, we'll get down to the last verse here. God, God has declared over and over, six times total, in fact, that it, is, it was good. He'd create, right? It was good, morning and evening. It was good, it was good, it was good. But now, chapter one ends after the creation of mankind and, and God changes that just a little bit. Uh, with God looking at all that he created, including man and woman, right, mankind, and declaring, behold, it was very good, very good. And that's how God looks on his creation. And so then, know this, okay? It is God-honoring to seek marriage, to have and raise children. It is God-honoring to exercise dominion, to subdue the earth. Maybe that looks like gardening. Maybe it's through starting, creating businesses, you know, building things with your hands or with your mind, right? Maybe it's through civil service. Maybe it's through conservation. Maybe it's through serving others and, uh, and sharing the gospel, right? We'd, we'd be here the rest of the year, actually, if I tried to flesh that out in every single detail for you, so, so I won't. I want to end like this. Finally, do this. Go and be fruitful. Go and exercise dominion. Go and subdue the earth. In other words, continue improving this wonderful world that God has created in the ways that he has called us to. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, you have blessed us and called us to be fruitful and to multiply. And so please teach us to value children, to see them as a blessing. Lord, there are many among us who long to have children, and yet you have not granted that. Please give them patience, give them wisdom to know the way forward, to wrestle with those unmet desires, and, and to trust that you have 
your reasons. And at the heart of those reasons is a love for those who are yours, for them. Father, furthermore, you made us in your image and you have granted us dominion over the earth's vast wonders. Please give us collective wisdom as we we seek to obey you by being wise stewards who, who care for this amazing world, your amazing world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.